And this morning, I want to look at the master of the slave. Last week, we were reminded that all of us are enslaved to someone or something. Prior to Christ, we are slaves to sin. Once we belong to Christ, we become slaves of righteousness. And from Romans chapter 6, we saw that there's a very clear picture of this. Prior to Christ, enslaved to sin. After Christ is in our life, slaves to righteousness. But we ask this question. How can we tell to which one we are enslaved? How are we to know which one we are enslaved to? And the answer to that very clearly from Romans chapter 6 and verse 16 is that we are enslaved to the one that we obey. If we obey sin, then we are enslaved to it. But if Christ is in our life, greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world, and we ought to be able to walk in victory, right? That's what God's Word teaches us. So we ought to become slaves to righteousness and thus living for God daily. Well, today I would like to assume that at least for the majority of us that we are in the latter category. You are the ones who should be enslaved to righteousness. In other words, you are a doulos. You are a slave to Christ by choice, purchased by God. So for us as believers, followers of Christ, Christians... What does it mean for us that Jesus is not only our Savior, but our Master? We've looked at this so much in the last several weeks, but I think we sometimes still fail to realize the significance and the impact that that must have on our lives. See, it's really easy to say, well, God, I want to follow you because you're my Savior. You died on the cross, and I love you for that. And I know you love me, and if you wouldn't have loved us, you wouldn't have died. But, you know, it's easy to say, well, God is my Savior. Through Jesus Christ dying on the cross, He's my Savior. But it's another whole level to say He's my Master. You see the difference? See, one gives us eternal life, and really the other one ought to be just as important that we surrender our lives to His so that we are no longer making our own decisions, but living for the will of Him who loved us and gave His life for us. And so we voluntarily, as a slave, as a doulos, give ourselves to Him, and we surrender our wills to His. So I want to look at two aspects of that this morning as we consider the master of the slave. Well, first of all, Jesus Christ is the master of the church. He's the master of the church. And sometimes we forget whom the church belongs to. You know, and I've seen this many times over the years. Maybe you have as well. But uh, you have this idea that, well, uh, time served equates uh, ownership. Well, I've been coming to this church, I've been serving as a Sunday school teacher for 30 years, and we have this idea that time served gives us equal uh, value of ownership in the church. And that's a false, false understanding. See, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He owns the church. It belongs to Him. We are His, bought and paid for, as we've already looked at in the last couple of weeks. The church is His. And if we would all have the idea that the church belongs to Jesus Christ, there would not be splits all over the country every day of the year. If we had the idea that Jesus Christ is the the head of the church, we wouldn't be fighting over what color carpet to put in or what color the wall should be. Now, thank God we haven't had some of that pettiness go on here. We haven't had any major splits over the color of the carpet. It's been here forever, and somebody just made a decision, and that's the way it was. I'm kind of not against that anymore. I just say, whoever has the talent, do it. You know, the bottom line is, we're not to fight over that junk. It's His. 
But as long as it's about me and what I want and what I think should happen, you're going to have problems because it's not about me. It's all about Him and all of our direction or attention ought to be directed towards Him. So it's not about how long I've attended this body. It's not about how long I've been serving in an area or, or a certain capacity of the church. Sometimes we function as though the church or the facility is our personal property. I think it's good to have a good dose of pride and in, 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 uh, uh, taking care of what God has entrusted to us. Remember, that's the whole idea behind the word stewardship, is that it doesn't belong to us, it belongs to Him, and we are just stewards of it. We've been tr- entrusted to take care of it, and I'm referring to the facility. And we ought to make upgrades, we ought to make sure it's clean, we ought to make sure that it's well taken care of and the repairs are made. That's all good stuff, but that is not the church. We are the church. And the head of the church, the head of the body of Christ, is Jesus Christ. Right? Can we agree with that? Let's look at some scripture that backs it up. The first one is found in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23. Uh, and he uses the example here, and I use this this week. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he is the Savior of the body. And over and over he makes it very clear that as the head, it's his. It belongs to him. Not us. We're to go on here in Colossians chapter 1. Just over a couple pages to the right. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 1. And verse 18, very clear. Let me turn the page here. It says, He also is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from, from the dead, so that He might have to come first place in everything. And I wonder how often is the church not putting Jesus Christ first in everything? It's amazing. Churches across America put all their money in this basket, or all their money in that basket, or all their money in this thing over here. But I wonder where does Christ want us to put our money into? What does Christ want us to put our talents, abilities, or skills, or the lack thereof into? He says that in all things, the church, He is the beginning. That in all things he might be first place. And remember, we're talking about a corporate body, but yet really gets down to it, we're talking about individuals as well. Because we make up the body as saved believers. So he is the head of the body, the church. And then you look down at verse 22 and verse 23, it says this, But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless for him, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. So the very gospel, the very life of Christ that he came, the life that he gave to us, Paul says, I am a servant, I am a, go- I am a slave of that gospel. I wonder if we view church that way. Sometimes we have the idea that as we... Now let me kind of make a distinction here just a little bit. This is a facility, right? This is just a facility. It's not the church. It's a church facility. You are the church. But who owns this body of believers? Who is the head of this body of believers? Jesus Christ. And now we're to be servants to the church. Servants to the gospel, to the church. But sometimes you have the idea that other people will do that. Other people who are more gifted, more talented, more skilled, who are better communicators, they'll take care of that. How often do we wonder, I wonder what God wants to do with me 
as part of this local body. If we're to take the time to look at 1 Corinthians, we see that every body fits together as who sees fit? God. So he's placed everyone in the member, everyone in the, as a member of the body as he saw fit. And therefore we saw, and I'm going to say it backwards, but the foot can't say, I don't have any need of the eye, and uh, vice versa. You know, amazing that he gave us two hands so that we could pick things up. Can you imagine picking up a huge box one-handed? Well, I realize that there's exceptions to the rule, and there are handicapped people who have learned to do that. But God gave you two hands so that you could function correctly. He gave you two feet so that you could function correctly. He gave you two eyes. He gave you a mouth. He gave you ears. God designed you best to serve Him. But what happens when one of the parts of the body doesn't do his job? What happens when you have a backache? Do you feel like even though your feet are fine, even though your hands are fine, even though your brain is fine, even though your eyes are fine, do you feel like working? No, because when your back hurts, your whole body feels like giving up. Or how about when you break your ankle? You ever had a broken foot before? I have. Well, your other foot's fine. I mean, your hands are fine. Your back's fine. Why not not just carry on as normal? Because you have a broken foot, it hinders the rest. Well, I mean, mean, come on now. I mean, just because you break your wrist on one side doesn't mean you can't just keep going everything, doing everything that you do every day, right? I mean, you still have another one. Feet are fine. Back's fine. Head's fine. Neck's fine. You see, when one part of the body doesn't do its job, it affects the whole. And when God says He's placed every one of you in this body as He saw fit to do it, and we don't do our part, it affects the whole, right? He's the head, and we're a servant to the head. That'll be clear to us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, once again, it just reminds that He is the head, even the body. He is the head of all. So he is the Lord and master of the church. And when we think of that word uh, Lord, it means the kurios, the Greek word kurios, it's the word, it means master. It means that we are subservient to a master. In other words, we don't choose what we get to do. We don't choose what we get to say or how we're to think. We have surrendered that. He's the master and we are at the master's bidding. He makes it clear. Matthew chapter 10, if you would turn your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It says, A disciple is not above his teacher, or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher, and a slave like his master. If they call the hand of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of this household? The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. They serve because He is the head. And we understand that sometimes there has to be a chain of command. We've heard the phrase, sometimes there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians. It's true. Everybody wants to be in charge. Everybody wants to call the shots. Everybody wants to make the decision and be the one that you know, says what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. But I find in Scripture that even though that there has to be a chain of command, God, and He places people in the church equipped the saints, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, to do the work of the ministry. It's all of us working together as a team. Do we get that? But there has to be a head, and that's Jesus Christ. Let me, let me illustrate this way. It's almost football season. The preseason games are going. I'm just going to plug, plug in for the Vikings already. They're going to do well this year. I keep telling myself, uh, against all hope, Pastor Duke, I love this shirt. It reminds me of the purple people eaters. 
Same thing, Hans. Good colors. Just, just putting that out there. It doesn't matter if a team has the world's greatest quarterback. I mean, this guy can have the ability to block the line. He can go, I mean, he can do, can go. I mean, bottom line is he can be the greatest quarterbacker ever to walk the face of the earth. If he doesn't have a receiver, he's worthless. If he doesn't have a couple good guys blocking for him, he's worthless. I mean, one team could have the guy that could catch anything. If it gets within two yards of him, it could be the world's worst throw, but he's the greatest guy in the world to catch. But if he can't get somebody to get the ball to him, it doesn't matter, does it? You may have the most talented line ever to walk on a football field, both offensively and defensively. But if he doesn't have a coach telling him how to play and how to run the plays, how well is that team going to do? You see, there has to be a head, and we have to acknowledge that there is a head in the body of church, a body of Christ in the church, and it's Jesus Christ. And we have to submit to his leadership. I wonder what would be different in churches across America if we say, okay, Jesus, you're in charge. I'll live my life to be like Jesus. I wish, I wish all of you could have been in Sunday school this morning. We watched a video called In the Dust of Jesus, a man who was actually in Israel giving some, um, uh, some teaching about what it was like to, and where, where, where these men who were called his disciples, where they came from and, and what was involved in that calling and so forth. Um, it is really interesting to see what it meant to be a real disciple in the, in the historical, biblical sense of disciple. It was really interesting. Let me encourage you to come next week. I think we're going to do one more week of it. Um, but it was really interesting. The disciple wants to be like his master. He's willing to be fully committed, totally following in every aspect of the word so that he can learn everything that his master knows. There's a commitment to the head. There's a commitment to the leader of the body. There is a commitment to do what he wants us to do, not what we want to do. There has to be a head. And God's Word reminds us that Jesus Christ is our head. It's not me. It's Jesus Christ. It's not the, not the deacons or the elders. It's Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. And we're to be submissive to him. Over and over, God's Word makes that very clear. In fact, Romans chapter... I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 20, verse 18, Jesus spoke, All power is given unto me. He is the head. He is the authority. And I wonder if sometimes we've missed that. And He is Lord of all. In fact, Romans chapter 10, verse 12, reminds us of this once again. Romans 10 and verse 12. says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on Him. He is rich to all who call on Him. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call. Isn't that amazing? He's the head. And He's rich to everybody who is able to want to call on Him. He's the... Not only that, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, He says, and He gave Him to be head over all things to the church. He's the head of all things. So first of all, Jesus Christ is not only the head and master of the church, but secondly, He's the head and master of us as individuals. Jesus Christ is the master of every believer. He is the master of everyone who calls on Him. And Acts chapter 2, verse 21 reminds us that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And once you put yourself under the authority of Jesus Christ and become His slave, He's our head.
And He ought to be the head of every one of us. I wonder how many of us function as though we are our own heads. Because we can do whatever we want because that's what we do. But Acts makes it very clear. He is the head. He's the master of all who call on Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23. You are bought with a price. And He says very clearly, Be not the servants of men. We're not the servants of men. We're the servants of Christ. Now, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, just another verse that came to my mind. It says, basically in an essence, I can't please everybody. If I were here to please everybody, guess what would be accomplished? Absolutely nothing. You see, as long as I make Nick happy over here, then I make, make Aaron dis- disgruntled over here. But if I make Aaron happy over here, then Nick says, well, I wanted it this way. How does that work? Well, the way it has to work is that when Aaron submits to God, when Nick submits to God, and we're working together to submit to God, guess what? We're unified. But when all of us work for ourselves to try to get what we want, that's selfishness. So Galatians 1.10 reminds us that if I should serve people, I should not be the servant of Christ. We're here to please the one who gave his life for us. We're not here for ourselves. We're here to please him. Because we're bought. Remember, a slave is a purchased item to be used however he wanted, unfortunately. Some slaves enjoyed the situation, some did not. The difference was in the master. But as a child of God, our master loves us and cares for us and wants nothing but the best for us. We saw that exemplified in the children of Israel. He said what? I saw your, or I heard your screams and your cries by reason of your taskmasters. I know how they're treating you and I am here to deliver you. He wanted what was best for them. He wants what's best for us. Our part is to respond in obedience. To give our lives to Him. To submit our will to Him. But here's the struggle. If you want to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die for the Lord, therefore whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So once again, we're reminded of this fact that when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we surrender our will to His, we're not here to please ourselves. We are here to please Him. That's what Colossians 1 remind us. That in all things He might have first place. Not just in some things. Not just in the areas of life where it's convenient. Not just when I want to or versus when I don't want to. He is our Master. I wonder if we live that way day after day after day. Because here's the struggle. It says that no man lives to himself just like no man dies to himself. We're God's. And we're not to be the servants of men. But here's the struggle with this. We'll close. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 24. 
says, no one can be a slave of two masters. Stop right there just for a moment. No one can be a slave of two masters. Why? If you've ever watched the old shows on TVs where the slaves are coming to the auction block, they would step up, they would look at the person, and the bidding would start. See, here's the problem with an auction. Two people can't have the same product. Does that make sense? I mean, here's the, here's the item on the auction block, and there's a bidding war going on until one wins the bid. Right? We understand how that works. You can't have two people winning the bid. One's going to raise the bid. One's going to have a lower bid. Someone's going to walk away with the item. So he makes it very clear here in this picture, this scenario. A life is on the auction block. And he says you can't serve two masters. You see, for many of us, we try to live for the things of the world and the comforts and the joys and the experiences and the things that bring us satisfaction and, and, and fulfillment. And on the other hand, God says, are you willing to sacrifice those things for me? That's what Romans 12 is about. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable form of worship. He says, listen, you're to live for one. You can't serve two masters. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve the things of the world. You can't have both. He makes it very clear. Let's read the rest of the verse. So no one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money. You can't live for the things and the material and the wealth of this world and live for God at the same time. You remember in the beginning we kicked off this series talking about the one-way missionaries. And what they did, they took the casket. I don't ever want you to forget this illustration. It's, it ought to be ring in the back of our minds when we think about our commitment to God. But they bought a casket. And whatever fit in that casket is what they took with them. They got on the ship, they went to the South Hebrew Islands, and they went to give their life until they died. And when they died, they were put in the own casket, their own casket that they brought and buried for eternity in that island or wherever it is that they went. That's surrendering everything to God. Saying, God, you have me and you're my master. You know, in this life, there are a lot of people who get up and they hate going to their jobs. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm wired a little bit different. I would rather get paid less and go to a job that I enjoy than to get paid more and hate what you do. Because when you love what you do, it's not a job, it's not work. But there are people who get up every morning and they hate it. They despise it. Why? And not even maybe in a sense that they're not even like what they do. It's sometimes the people that they work for and their selfishness and their greed. But we have to remember something. We have but one life to live. And if we look at it on a horizontal level, you'll never have joy. You'll never have peace. You'll never have satisfaction. But if you look at it from a vertical level, we really serve Him by serving them. Does that make sense? You have to serve God first. And when you're serving God, 
The rest of it doesn't matter because we know that this is temporary. And God's Word says some of you are aliens, strangers. Some of you are aliens. I mean, just Scripture. Your pilgrims, your sojourners, you're just passing through. Because it says our citizenship is in heaven, right? This is temporary. And you have one life to give. That's it. One. Sometimes the idea, well, I'll get a little bit more serious later. God knows how busy I am right now. I mean, He knows that work is demanding, and He knows that my family is growing, and my kids require a lot of time. And I, I just wonder, once again, we've asked a question before, but I wonder what excuses will be justifiable when we get to heaven. God, I would have, I would have surrendered more. I would have followed You as Master more, but... God, well, you understand, you know, I mean, you know the circumstances. God, you're well aware of it. I mean, you know everything, God. You know them really. What, what excuses will be justifiable when we get there one day? We have one life. That's it. And we can't serve too many masters. We serve one. Live for God or the things of the world. Can't have both. That's the way He designed it. We don't get to make the rules. It's not about me. It's all about Him. And it's a choice that we have to make daily. And it's not an easy choice. I don't care what anyone says. It's a struggle. Because our flesh is strong. And God's Word is so clear. He is the head. We are His slaves. He purchased us with His blood. He is our Master. His will trumps our will. Are we willing to live that way? Let's pray.